Well, we need people to encourage us, don't we? Uh, a little bit more than that. Uh, in fact, something happened to me that was a little discouraging this week. Uh, many of you know that I hurt my knee a while back. I was physical therapy, crutches for a while. And then, I, again, I went to the gym and did something stupid and hurt my knee again. Uh, but fortunately, I had one of the pastors here, Pastor Shane, uh, in the middle of that, he encouraged me. He, he said, Ben, you just need to take it easy. Most people your age are doing water aerobics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, we'll miss him. But the, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, we are in this new series, Fixer Upper Family. And there's uh, a couple things I know about uh, family. And I'll tell you why you learned that if you're new here uh, throughout the series. And it's not because I came from, uh, you know, sort of the uh, cleaver kind of family. Uh, and also fixer-uppers. Uh, and it's interesting how God wants to take those important areas of our life. And he wants to repair and restore and renew. And for some of us, just to celebrate uh, what God has brought into our life. And we're going to be looking at all aspects of family. Uh, today is going to be a pretty broad brush that I, I know everyone, no matter where you're at on your journey, are going to be able to relate to. Um, because we all have uh, families, uh, maybe extended family. One of the things I knew coming into this series is that I wanted to build better relationships with my own family. I, I plan my sermons out, uh, not each every word, but I plan out the series and the topics about a half a year in advance. And so I knew this was uh, going to be coming up. And so I've been trying to restore relationships, do better than that with that. I saw my sister-in-law uh, at the gym. Uh, my family lives down in Tacoma, and uh, I have a sister-in-law and brother-in-law who live up here. And so usually when I'm at the gym, I'm all business, you know, just, you know, barely say hi or don't even say hi. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to build a better relationship. So uh, she's there on the exercise bike, uh, and I, I'm on the treadmill, and I sort of wave at her, but she doesn't see me. And it doesn't really count if they don't see you. Uh, so uh, I wanted to wait, you know, wait till her eyes sort of, kind of, I sort of waved again and it didn't work. Uh, so finally I thought, okay, I'm not going to do it this way. I, I wait until I'm through, I get off, she's still on the bike, and then I say, uh, hey, how you doing? And uh, she like uh, looks over at me and then it's like she didn't know, and so I got closer and I said, hey, and then she looks at me again, realized not my sister-in-law. <laughs> So now I know that there's going to be some article about this creepy pastor <laughs> who stalks women at the gym. Just wanted to let you know in advance. Uh, now, when you think of family, uh, what do you uh, think of? There's an image that comes to mind. Uh, I don't know what that image would be uh, for you. Maybe it's an image uh, like this, a nice family here. Maybe it's an image uh, like this. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. That's a... Yeah, or like this one. This is another one there. Uh, and then, uh, or maybe a family like this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, uh, if you like cats, that's fine. Not with me, but it's fine. The, uh, uh, so when you think of family, you're thinking of maybe your children right now who are in the children's ministry. And some of you are parents. You have young kids. You're hoping for a break. You're the only one in the whole church that's praying I go just a little bit longer today. Uh, so you can, uh, maybe you're thinking of the family that you hope not to have. You say, hey, I don't want to have a nuclear family. I just like flying solo, and uh, that's great. My, my guess is for most of us, 
we have a thought to the family that we had growing up. Uh, no matter what that looked like, um, and you might come from a dysfunctional family, which is called just a family because all families are dysfunctional, but the, uh, uh, it, whatever the background, uh, whatever that family looked like, and we know this, uh, and, and the Bible says it, uh, so, social science definitely has confirmed what the Bible would say, um, that, that that family has an imprint on you. And that's what we're going to be looking at today uh, in Fixer Upper Family, is the family we came from. Uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and sociologists do a lot of study in family of origin, and there's uh, this belief, and especially if you go through marriage, marital counseling, you probably had some discussion of family of origin, or you, maybe you didn't get pr- marital counseling, and that's why you're in marital counseling now. And so, uh, because it affects you uh, so much, there's an imprint that makes an impact in your life. Every once in a while, I'll come across someone. Uh, there's a guy uh, who I know, actually used to work with, and he grew up in, in a family, dad, alcoholic, uh, you know, bad things happened in there, and uh, he goes, it didn't affect me one bit. And literally, I mean, it's just written all over the anger, the dissonance, the rage, the, the inde- inappropriate independence So the question isn't, did your family impact you? The question is, do you see it? There is no exception on earth to this rule. And in fact, God speaks about it again and again. And so when we enter this series, we need God's wisdom. And so this verse uh, is really uh, the foundational verse. In fact, every time I do a family series, I always say it's a foundational verse because it always is. Uh, Proverbs 24.3, it says this, by wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. So we need some understanding in how God wired us and that is going to have to do with our family. Back in the book of Genesis, uh, we see God's created order for family. He says this, Genesis 2.24, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, here's the deal. There's something that happens between leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Uh, There's a a physical leaving that can happen, hopefully, but there's something emotional that may or may not happen, and that's what I want to look at a little bit today. So so why is the family of origin, or uh, as I call it, the family we come from, uh, so important? Uh, Number one, it creates a baseline for normal. Uh, When you grew up, especially when you were very little, your family seemed normal and right to you. I don't care what your family was like. It was just uh, your family. If you grew up in a very poor family. I've talked to people who grew up incredibly poverty-stricken, but it didn't seem weird to them because it was just normal. It was their family. I know people who uh, grew up in families that were incredibly wealthy, and that just seemed uh, normal to them. Here's something is maybe you grow up, I talked last week about anger, and you grew up in a family where there was some yelling and screaming and there's all sorts of anger and rage, and you manage your life around it because to you, it was normal. It's the baseline 
for normal. And here's the thing, the baseline for normal, you don't just say, okay, after you grow up, oh yeah, that wasn't normal. Okay, I'm just moving on. And that really doesn't happen. You may have said it intellectually. You may have said it out loud. You may have even said it to uh, the person that you're with, you want to marry now, you're dating or you're married to or a friend. But it doesn't just happen. That, become, that stays the baseline for, for normal for you. So, for example, my family, uh, we moved around a lot. I've shared this before. Uh, my parents uh, totally, you know, some people are against marriage. Uh, my, my parents were the first people who battled for marriage in America. So much so, my mom was married eight times, my dad was married four times. They believed in marriage more than anyone. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, they're really, uh, so they battled for marriage. Actually, they weren't always married to the person they were with, but that's a whole other story. Uh, my, so we, we moved around a lot. My wife comes from a family, mom, dad, 11 kids, not like uh, his and in, uh, in hers, but 11 kids, two parents. They lived in the same town pretty much for their whole lives. They were stable. They were pillars in the community. Everyone knew their name. In fact, I went to that town. It's a little town called Anaconda, Montana. And in there, it's a copper smelting town. Uh, by the way, it says, you know, sort of hard, tough town, hard drinking, hard partying town. And everyone knew my father-in-law. When I, when I uh, walked into a restaurant, one that he used to own, he used to own a couple restaurants, people said, hey, John, how are you doing? Everyone said that one. Hey, John, how are you doing? You blankety, 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 blank. And I'm like, what would happen if they didn't like him, you know? <laughs> but that was a town, and, but there was incredible stability uh, in that town. And so I brought my instability uh, some of you have a hard time believing that. No, actually, no one does, I guess. So the, uh, <laughs> and she brought the incredible stability to that. There's all sorts of things we can normalize that are bad. There are things that are good. Uh, there's family from the church. In fact, by the way, you know, we do, t people ask us about missions and, and, and all of that. And we do that, I mean, more than ever before. You know it. You see, almost every weekend we highlight what we're doing around the world and in the community. But there's so much more that goes on than you even see or we ever tell you about uh, because of what's happening, growth groups and people. There's one family I know that at one of the uh, homeless uh, encampments at a church, uh, actually, actually a couple families I know, there's one that comes and brings them uh, food a couple nights a week. One I know that does their laundry for them. And uh, that's just normal in their family. And so they're creating a normal and they're creating a normal that really uh, is incredible. As parents, we should think about this in our lives. If you're a parent, kids will forget everything you say, but will remember everything you do. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. And so uh, we need to know that actions speak not only louder than words, they speak longer than words because it creates what normal is like. Also, our family, uh, it's a subtext for how we relate to other people. This is related to the previous point, uh, it related to what I received or didn't receive growing up. Uh, for example, my, uh, my daughters, uh, my, my daughters are both, you know, sort of 
that dating age. And uh, so uh, the subtext is, okay, what does my dad like? And so that without high standard, you know, it's just in Cornell. The, uh, uh, but it's a subtext. It'll always be behind every relationship. Even how much love was shared. Uh, been a lot written uh, on secure attachment. I mean, this goes back to the 50s and the 60s. Dr. Henry Cloud has brought more in a Christian environment where uh, if we didn't have this early attachment with our parents and later on as it developed, uh, that we're going to have a hard time with other people, with or maybe our current family, maybe with your own kids. And you're wondering, how come I'm not able to relate and attach like that? There's an imprint that makes an impact from your past. Also, because it's part of my story, uh, you've received uh, these experiences, good or bad. Uh, we all have traditions growing up in, in how we experience family. Uh, my family, one of the things we uh, used to do is we played poker a lot, which is interesting. Uh, my dad used to love to gamble, and so he taught me how to play poker, which is a really interesting skill to have in theological seminary. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, yeah. I always like to teach people to play poker. Uh, and we'll let you know I finished from seminary debt-free. So, just want to <laughs> let you know uh, that's how it would happen, because my dad thought it would be important for us to learn how to gamble. I literally would win my allowance sometimes. That's how it rolled in, uh, uh, in my family. Uh, my wife, again, uh, you know, more traditional, the kind that, you know, they did the traditional things, and, uh, you know, my family, we never did any of that. Uh, really, a lot of the family vacations never went camping. Uh, my wife said the other day, hey, I want to go camping. I said, no problem. Let me know when you'll be back. <laughs> the, uh, no, she didn't say that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you get the idea of what I'm talking about, uh, that, that there's a story, and uh, it's going to be a mix of a story, isn't it? Uh, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. Because I'll, either I'll resemble or react to it. It will touch every facet of your life, how you make decisions, how you view your sexuality, how you react to stress, how you handle disappointments, how we handle a relational crisis. So here's the deal, is that you're going to learn something from your family. And if you say, hey, I was wondering about what this series was about. Is it about marriage or parenting or, you know, all those other relationships? We're going to get all those relationships in the series at some point. Uh, but you learned something from your family. And the question is what? And you might say, well, that's an easy question to answer. I actually don't think it's a very easy question to answer, to be honest with you. Because uh, it's a mixture of good and bad. In fact, uh, one of the things I did is, as I was studying for this series, I did what I often do. I mean, I always start in the Scripture and look at Scripture verses, uh, some that have to do directly with family and some not. Uh, as I've always thought and, and been told and been taught is, well, if you look in the Bible at families, uh, you're not going to get a lot of great examples. I mean, uh, there's not, especially in the Old Testament, there's not many great families, except people will talk about the, uh, the Rechabites, which were basically, you know, they were 
nomadic people who didn't get drunk because their parents didn't get drunk, which is great. That's an awesome accomplishment. But I'm like, okay, there's got to be something more to that. And so I went back and I studied uh, the first family of faith. It's referred to over and over again, Old Testament, New Testament, dozens of times. If you've never been to church before, but you've lived in this country, maybe if you even haven't lived in this country, you've heard of this family. If you've never read the Bible before, uh, you've heard of them. And this is the first family of faith. And so what I did is I looked at them again, and it changed my filter as as I saw uh, who they were. Because I stopped looking for the perfect family. I stopped looking for, well, the family that's perfect or close to perfect. And I said, why don't I just evaluate the good and the bad together? And as I did that, I thought, you know what? That's not only a lot like our families, a lot like reality. And yeah, there's some points that are painful and hurtful and sinful and horrible. And there are some points that are redemptive and life-giving And which one am I going to bring into my future? Do you know that you have a choice in that? Now, if you don't know where you've come from and what that is, you're going to inadvertently just pick up some things that maybe you do or don't want uh, in your life. And as I started to to look at this first family of faith, I saw uh, something different. Well, in, in the New Testament... Uh, We read this. Uh, God God says this, uh, you know, speaking. He says in Acts 7.32, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Known as uh, the the first patriarchs, the the ones with their wives, obviously, who uh, would build the nation of Israel, but also more than that. And I'm going to look at that in a moment. They were really the first family of faith. And so, but, but we see some bad things in there. We see impetuousness. We see uh, with Abraham and his wife when they wanted a child and it wasn't happening and they were just getting old. And instead of just saying, okay, God promised it, but maybe it wasn't God's will, they took things into their own hands. And, and uh, a- Abraham's wife, Sarah, says, hey, you know, why don't you hook up with the maid right out of Jerry Springer, the th- this thing was. And no, literally, that's what she says. And, and why don't we sort of have a kid that way? And uh, by the way, that didn't work out. Does that surprise anyone? God later kept that promise. And so the, their first son, Ishmael, father of the Arab people, and uh, their other son, Isaac, father of Jewish people, they didn't get along. And by the way, it hasn't been going too well since. <laughs> and so uh, we see a lot of bad there. We see uh, uh, favoritism. Later on, uh, we, we uh, see Jacob and Esau, and uh, that Jacob's mom favored him, and uh, his dad favored Esau, and it became an incredible mess, and there was all sorts of sibling rivalry, and they hated each other. There was manipulation. Uh, Jacob tricked Esau again and again. Uh, He got tricked by his uncle Laban. And these are all, if you say, man, I don't know these people in the Bible. You're like me. I wasn't raised around church. Uh, uh, All this stuff is in the Bible. And by the way, it is really, there's some really interesting stuff in the Bible. These stories sometimes are like, oh, who would write that in their family history? 
And that's one of the reasons why uh, I, it, I think it authenticates the Scriptures, because most religious books are highly sanitized. They, don't, uh, they seem very wonderful, but they don't seem to reflect reality in the least bit. This one is not. It's messy people with messy families, but that's not the end of the story. So in that context, in that context, God gave this command, and he knew this would happen. And he says, honor your father and your mother uh, so that it, you may live long in the land and the Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. So even when you see these parents who are highly dishonorable in some ways, God says to honor them. And, and I, I did a whole message on that. I've done a couple, but did one about a year or so ago where I unpacked that in a big way. Uh, so maybe your background was horrible. I've talked to people, and I've had, in fact, I've had people share their testimonies and want to share where, you know, we put up on video, they want to share their story. And honestly, I've gone, hey, you know, I don't know if it would be good for you because it's just too raw. We can try to edit it out as much, but because uh, it, it's so, so painful. And so I get it. It's not as if I don't have those conversations. I probably have them more than most people in society would. But I believe that God can bring the redemptive uh, out of families that seem ridiculously broken. Uh, I also know that for those of us who, who we can see that strong heritage, uh, then this is just a reminder of God's goodness. So what I want to look as we look at fixer-upper families, fixing up the family of our past, and that means mining the best from your past. And I want to give you some good examples from messed up families, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what do we see in these families? Uh, we see, uh, one, tenacious productivity. That these were people, yeah, they had a lot of problems. By the way, Abraham at one point uh, you know, sort of ditched his wife said, all these people, hey, I think these guys might like you, so tell them we're not married. <laughs> How do you think that would go over, you know? Uh, I mean, really. And then, by the way, his son Isaac did the same thing to his wife, learned it from his dad, because these things are generational. The uh, Bible talks about generational sin and generational blessing, and we see both true as a reality, unless we, we can invite Christ to, to break that. But we see a tenacious productivity. Look at what it says, Genesis uh, 26, 12. It says, Isaac planted crops in the land the same year, reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. And some of you would say, well, that's just because God blessed him. That's true, but you know what? He planted crops in the land. Isn't it funny how hard work and blessing often go together? See, uh, God, we have our part in that. Uh, my, my daughters, as I said, are getting a little bit uh, older, and so my daughter at college, I evaluate every young man differently. I evaluate him on how likely is it if they got married, they would be living in our basement. <laughs> and I don't even have a basement, but I just, you know, theoretically <laughs> uh, with that, because I want someone who has a heritage of productivity. I really want that. And maybe for you, your parent wasn't I hear this, especially people who are a little bit older, uh, maybe uh, people in uh, middle age. You, your parents were from that other generation who worked all the time and maybe weren't home much. And there was a lot missed there, and I don't want to minimize that. 
but you gain a heritage of hard work that has served you well in your life. And I'm not saying deny the rest. I'm just saying learn from that thing that is good. And I think for parents today in my growth group, I meet with a bunch of men on Wednesday, uh, we talk about this all the time because believe it or not, uh, some parents on the east side are worried their children are a little entitled. I mean, that's how they uh, feel. And it's, it's okay to let them see how hard uh, that you work, not just the time you're away from family, not just the, the negative, but what it costs you uh, to get there. If, if something has great value, there will always be a great cost to it. Uh, and no matter what that is. Now, you may pay that or not. Usually, you're going to have to pay it. Uh, but there will be a great cost. Now, this, this can be taken the whole other way. Uh, for me, uh, you know, the, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes to be going all the time. Uh, our student ministries pastor actually said, hey, it seems like every time you take a weekend off, you're, you know, like consulting or speaking in another church or doing something else. Uh, Because I'm aware I'm at the point in my life where right now a lot of people want my time, and in 10 years from now, I'm going to be sitting in a Starbucks alone talking to strangers, you know? Uh, But right now, I'm at the point where a lot of people are asking for my time, both inside and outside the church, and I actually uh, enjoy that. But, you know, I I was like, I love that, because he was like, okay, don't go too far the other way. And so, uh, in a few weeks, right after that conversation, a few weeks, I scheduled a weekend off. Uh, flying down to California and going to go to Disneyland. And so we're excited uh, about that. All we need now is someone to watch our kids while we're gone. uh, (laughs) Now we're going to bring them with us. (laughs) Haven't booked a flight yet, but we're planning on it. So there's also this, is there's an offering of blessing. Uh, We see this uh, again and again, and this is so central to uh, the scriptures, is that there's this generational uh, blessing. We read this in Genesis 12 too. This is God's plan. Uh, even God said this to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And we see that uh, that was not only God's plan for Abraham and the, the Jewish people. We can get in that theology of how uh, the Messiah came through the people of Israel. But then he blessed his kids. We read this, uh, Genesis 48, 15. Then uh, Jacob blessed Joseph, and we see it went down the line, and he blessed Isaac, and Isaac uh, blessed him. And then we see this, I think this is pretty interesting uh, as well, uh, Genesis 49, 28, that the youngest of these three, Jacob, uh, it says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what Jacob said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. And I thought that was interesting, is, is blessing in a way that was appropriate. And I know that I want that, and that was part of the heritage of this messed up family. There's a great book, by the way, and in fact, it's, it was written a number of years ago, I think at this point, uh, by Gary Smalley and John Trent, called The Blessing, looks at the biblical theology in it and how we live that out practically. And, they, and I can't go into all of it, but they describe some of what this looks like. Uh, that a meaningful touch is part of that, a, hand, a hug, a hand on the shoulder, uh, spoken words. You, you know those. 
I like you, I love you, I forgive you, I want to be around you. Kids to aging parents, I still need you in my life. Brothers to each other, I don't have to agree with you to want you in my life. Spouses to each other, let's not lose the relationship in the pressure of this moment. Those are, those are words of not only reconciliation and love, but of blessing. Also, they describe expressing high value, seeing the intrinsic worth, worth in each person, picturing a special future. I think that's one of the greatest blessings we can give people is to see when you're sort of stuck in the moment, let them, you, you, maybe God will help you to see what they can't see about themselves, and then an act of commitment. So we see this as part of the heritage. And then, uh, number three, we see uh, undeserved grace. Undeserved grace was part uh, of this heritage. So we go through the story, and I'm not going to go through every verse here in this section, but uh, you see there's a lot of uh, turmoil and trauma in this first family of faith. Uh, we see it finally came to a culmination in a sense where they, I, I mean, horrible turning on, uh, the brothers turned on this one brother, uh, Joseph. Uh, his brothers, he had uh, his brothers who would later be the, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. They didn't like him because parents were playing favorite. They decide to sell him into slavery. He, by the way, had that heritage of working hard, and so he prospered, and God blessed it. He eventually goes to a foreign land, becomes a leader of Egypt, which was the most powerful nation in the world at that point in history. Well, he rescues his family because he loves his family, but then when his father dies, the brothers are a little concerned that, you know, hey, he spent a lot of time in prison, in slavery. He may not like us too much. And uh, so this is what we read, Genesis 50, 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Legitimate question, isn't it? But we see that there was this heritage of grace. And so he, he decides to give his brothers what they don't deserve. Not only a second chance and forgiveness. The words aren't said, but the actions are said of forgiveness. He just basically says, God was doing so much. He blessed me so much. What you meant for bad, God meant for good. He actually gives them incredible favor. We say, where would he get that from? Well, he got that because he saw his dad, when his dad cheated his brother out of everything, out of his position in the family, out of his wealth, the, ble the special blessing, and his dad, Jacob, came back after running away from his brother, who was bigger and more powerful, that his uncle Esau didn't pay him back. But he gave him grace and forgiveness. And I think one of the greatest heritages, one of the greatest her heritage we can have is that of undeserved grace. We also see there's number four, courageous perseverance. Uh, 
that they would per- persevere again and again. And the example I give there is of when Jacob is cheated out of uh, what's due him. There was a bride price in that culture for a bride, and his uncle cheated him. But he just went, kept, kept on working uh, because that was part of his family heritage. And then finally, uh, n- number five, obedient faith. This was part of the heritage. And it's interesting, when you think of the family and you think of how many ways they messed up, there was a lot of sin in the family. I mean, you know, sort of the big ones, not the little ones like, oh, I said darn, but uh, more like, oh, I tried to kill my brother. Mm-hmm. Not like sort of, but like literally kill him. And in this, though, there's this grace and faith. These are big ones. In fact, early on, it, it, we read that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That he had this faith. Was it perfect? No. But it was obedient. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God. And then Jesus, when he talks about heaven, it's interesting, he references this first family of faith. And he says this in Matthew 8, 11. He says to you, he says, I say to you uh, that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast, talking about heaven, with a- Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You know what's sort of interesting is they had messed up a lot along the way. More, I mean, more than I could share in uh, 30 sermons. But the place that they didn't mess up was in their relationship with God. It wasn't their failures that made the ultimate imprint. It was a faith that said, no matter what comes our way, we're going to bring it to God. And here's the good news, is that this can begin at any point for you and for your family. Now, I know we have people here, which is great that we're such an intergenerational church. It's singles here, and you're like, the last thing I want is a family. I'm not even sure I want a boyfriend yet. Uh, We have people who are uh, married and ones with young kids and older kids. We have people who the kids just moved out of the house, and they're the ones who look very happy right now. Uh, We have some of you, the kids just moved back, and you're bitter and angry. it's never too late to make that imprint. So, so what I want to do is, uh, before I wrap this up in a moment, I want to give you some practicals during this series. And here's what they are. If you say, you know what, I'm not much of a faith person. By the way, we have a lot of people who start at Timberlake like that. Hey, my kids haven't even, you know, I haven't told them about God or anything like that. that hey, you know, that was the past. How about the future? So I would, I would want you to do a few things next few weeks that could build that faith component. One is uh, that you would come during this series, just make a commitment, I'm going to come to all every week during this series, and I'm going to listen to what God has to say to me. You're going to learn so much practical stuff that it'll be very helpful in your life. But I also want you to listen to, for the God stuff in what he wants to do in your life as well. Maybe you're uh, here and you've not yet been baptized. Uh, You've believed in Jesus. You've said yes to him. 
And that is a great faith statement. You want to make a faith statement to your family, say, hey, I identify with Jesus Christ. In a few weeks, we're going to have a baptism. You might say, hey, I was already baptized as a baby. And that's not what I'm talking about. That was about your parents' faith. See, baptism in the Bible is always about our faith. And so uh, your parents, as they did that, they had incredible great intentions of saying, we want to dedicate uh, our child to the Lord. But, but this is what we're talking about is you saying, I'm in with Jesus. And whenever we make a statement of faith, it builds our faith. You also uh, can take other steps. You can, uh, as we approach Easter, you can say, hey, you know what, I'm, we're going to serve together as a family, or we're going to invite our friends, or we're going to make some sort of uh, crazy statement uh, of faith. We're going to share our faith. Our, our, our neighbors aren't even sure that we are Christians, but uh, we're going to take a step of faith. And then, too, I want to, just a real practical thing, this next, after we finish this series, and I know this is the very first week, but right after Easter, we're going to go through a book of the Bible together as a church in a series called Too Good to Be True. And maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to not only come on the weekends, but I'm going to get involved in some uh, Bible study where I can start to build that faith. Well, maybe you had never had that growing up. Maybe... Uh, you had a religion or a faith of sorts, but it wasn't very meaningful uh, to you. That, that can change anytime we want it to. God can write a new story for us. Uh, maybe you can leave an imprint. Maybe it's not even a, a child you'll have. It'll be someone who you have influence over in someone else's life. But it begins with us saying, okay, God, I am fully open for business. And so I thought it would be great if, if you heard the story of someone who sort of grew up with uh, religion, but never made that connect and finally said, okay, I'm going to move from religion to authentic faith. So take a look at this.